Great. If you've got a Bible, uh, probably switch it on. Um, or if you've got a book, obviously, please open up to Isaiah. Um, Juliet is going to come and read our passage for us, and David as well, straight after um, Luke chapter 1. Um, thank you. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And if you have one of the Pew Bibles, can we have it back, please? <laughs> <clears throat> the birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Amen. Thank you very much. Let me pray for Chris, and then over to you, Chris. Thank you. 
Father, we thank you so much uh, for your wonderful word. Uh, Lord, thank you that you're, God, you're a God who's not distant or silent, uh, but loves to speak to his children. Lord, I thank you so much for Chris. Thank you for all the time and effort and care uh, that he puts into his messages. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless him and anoint him, uh, be close to him. And Lord, through him, may we hear our Father's voice. Uh, may we um, just be encouraged and, and just know uh, just how sure and certain we can as we put our trust in you and in your promises. So enable him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's lovely to see you all here. Phil and I have not spoken about this talk at all for, well, really, since we agreed I was going to do it. And I wish I had, really, because I'd got several pictures of monics that I was going to put up and ask you about the, uh, the dates for them. So... Um, I was busy penciling down an, an alternative talk, so I'm going to do that now, uh, <laughs> rather than the one I had planned. Well, it's, we, we're titled um, The Forever King, and, and Christmas is not that long away. And for those of you who haven't got your cards sorted out, you've got two weeks left. And it, actually, if you want to avoid the first-class post at whatever it is now, £12 a letter or something, <laughs> you need to be doing it pretty soon. But as I thought about Christmas, um, I realise that it conjures up different emotions for different people. For some, Christmas can be a time um, of upset or a difficult time. Perhaps it reminds you of how lonely you are, or it reminds you of a loss or a disappointment that happened around Christmas time. I remember when I was quite young, I had an uncle. Um, well, he was a friend of my parents who we refer to as an uncle. He wasn't a blood relative. I'm sure we've all got similar people. And um, he died suddenly on Christmas Day. And I remember my aunt visiting, and as a child you, you saw her, and how Christmas suddenly became a sad thing rather than a joyous thing. And I suspect for my aunt it was probably painful for a number of years. There are many reasons why Christmas is not a happy occasion and for many, the sooner it is done with, the better. Whereas for others, it can be the complete opposite. It can be a happy time, full of happy memories, a time for family and perhaps some indulgences that you don't have um, any other time of the year apart from this time of the year, because they can't be afforded, really. And we all are on the spectrum somewhere between joy, perhaps, at one end and sadness at the other end. But as well as there being a spectrum for how we may feel about Christmas, there's also a spectrum for what we think about Christmas. Is it a Christian hope? You're a slide ahead of me, Andrew. There we go. Is it a Christian holy day, or is it a secular holiday? And again, we will be on this spectrum somewhere. And depending on where we are on these spectrums will determine how we celebrate, or not, Christmas and what benefit we get from the occasion. Is the event joy to the world or simply a chance to have a happy, jolly holiday as the song goes, or a jolly Christmas as the song goes? Well, this year I have uh, started reading, Sue and I have started reading The Times online in an attempt to find an alternative to the BBC website which I've come, come to consider is more intent on promoting certain ideologies than it is on perhaps uh, good reporting. 
Um, but that's just my opinion. Whether the times will be any better or not, time will tell, I guess. But I do consider some of the articles that I've read perhaps more informed and better written than I had been reading uh, on the BBC website. Um, but that may be a case of beauty is in the eye of the beholder. They appeal to me perhaps more than they would to some other, other people. But one thing I've noticed about doing this online newspaper is that it has a comments section at the bottom of it. It's a kind of social media where you can express your views about the article that has been written um, and people do express their views and they may refer to the article or anything else that they want to write about. Um, the interesting thing is you get a good insight into what people are thinking. And the sad thing is, is often this insight is based upon other social media things or, or other things they have read on the internet. So therefore, as you will um, know from your own experiences, they're completely truthful and full of factual information, <laughs> wholly reliable. But one thing it does do is it reveals something of the lack of hope many people have for the future. You read the comments that people write and it's, it's time after time is expressing a lack of hope for the future. For example, you may, this is where you can turn the slide now. For example, you may be aware that in many Western countries, if not most of them, the birth rate is falling or we have an aging population and there are not enough young people to be paying the pensions and doing whatever they need to do. And in this country, young people can delay having children because of the high cost of housing, for example, but many are delaying or not having children at all because they don't like the world the children will be born into. They have fears about the world. They see the world as not a good place and only getting worse, so they opt not to have children. And based upon the evidence of such articles and the comments that you read in these papers, these young people don't have any hope for the future. And that alongside that, they struggle for peace in their lives. And yet these two things, hope and peace, are what Christians claim Christi uh, Christmas can bring us things which our increasingly secular world has lost. I wonder how many Christmas cards you have received over the years which have the words hope and or peace on them. I suspect it is many. Well, in our secular world, these, um, there you go, these words are disappearing. Hope and peace they can't find. Well, as Phil has already mentioned, in our run-up to Christmas, we're doing a short series looking at three prophecies from the book of Isaiah that relate to Christmas. And hopefully by using them, we'll try and rediscover something of the Christian message of a Christmas that the secular world is trying to erase and why Christmas can be a time of hope and peace. And as Phil has said, the, the series is called The Christmas Promise and we're doing the first talk in that series uh, today. Oh. And just in case you think I'm exaggerating about the uh, secular society wanting to erase Christianity and Christmas from the agenda, you'd have to look no further than the National Trust. The Telegraph reported recently that the 2024 calendar for the National Trust will not contain dates for Christmas and Easter, but it will for Eid, Diwali, Ramadan, and so on. 
Okay. Not good, is it? So, hope and peace, though, is what the Christian message brings. So in our passage, we're going to be considering today, which is from Isaiah 9, 1 to 7, we're going, it, it's a passage that will be well known to some, but maybe not to others. So this is what I want to do in our remaining time, is I want to go through the passage and understand it in its context. What did it mean to the people in Isaiah's day when this was originally brought to them? And then secondly, I want, with the benefit of history, I want us to see, well, what does that passage mean for Christmas? And how does it bring us hope and peace? And then to finish with, I want to briefly say why I think it is credible and how it has made a difference in my own life. So a bit of personal testimony, if you like. And to do that, I've got three points. The first point is, what did it mean then, so the past? What does it mean now? And what does it mean for the future? So a kind of past, present, and future. So what did it mean then? Well, the prophecy that relates to Christmas, um, which is about Jesus, is found in verses 6 and 7 of our passage. However, in order to understand the passage, I think we have to look back to the preceding verses and read it in its context. David Pawson famously said once, a text out of context becomes a pretext. And so we have to look at the passage in its context first. So, with this in mind, let's go to verse 1. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now what I'm going to try and do, because our time is limited, is we're going to try and get a gist as to what this is saying, a kind of overview as to what Isaiah is um, bringing to us. And what he's saying here is, is that you may remember after, after Solomon died, now Solomon was David's son, the kingdom of Israel was split into two. There was a northern part and a southern part. The northern part we refer to as Israel, the southern part as Judah. And in approximately 733 BC, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. And Zebulun and Naphtali, as mentioned in verse 1, um, were part of the northern kingdom. And the disaster that befell them when the Assyrians took them over created this sense of doom and gloom. Can we go back to the previous slide, Andrew? And, just and in the midst of this doom and gloom, Isaiah receives a message from God of hope, and that is what is recorded in this book for us. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. So these are the people whom the Assyrians had taken. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. For the people of Isaiah's day, this was not easy. To feel a sense of hope when there was so much desperation all around them. And Alec Mottier, in his commentary on Isaiah, makes the point that the darkness and distress are real, but they are not the only reality nor the fundamental reality. 
In any given situation, we can either sink into despair or rise to faith and hope. And Isaiah was bringing them a message of hope from God. The future would be different. And the people were faced with a choice. Live in despair or live with the hope of a better future. Their circumstances might remain the same, but their attitude and outlook could be different. God was giving them hope. And verse 2 here says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. And basically it's now saying those living in darkness will enjoy better times. Better times will come and the darkness will become light. If you like, there is light at the end of the tunnel that you are facing. Verse 3 says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. And the light will mean better times, times of joy and peace. And what he's doing here is giving two examples of when joy is experienced at harvest time and when warriors are dividing the plunder. Verse 4. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. And what he's saying here is, is that the deliverance that the people will experience will be from the Lord. It will be like in past times. And again, he provides two examples. Uh, these are the examples of them coming out of Egypt and of Gideon defeating the Midianites. And in the case of Gideon, it was a victory that was achieved through somebody who was a nobody, really. He was insignificant. It had to be a work of God. And so the contrast that um, Isaiah is painting in this prophecy is, is that the suffering will come to an end and it will all be a work of God. It will be nothing that the people do. It will be God's work for them. And then finally, verse 5 says, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And basically, it's just saying those things which they would use in battle, um, they will get rid of, they won't need, because the people will enjoy fruits of victory that they didn't win. God will do it for them. It will all be of God. Now, as I researched this and went through what I've just brought to you, I thought, well, all this sounds wonderful. But I suspect those people who originally heard this message had one or two questions by the time they got to this point in the prophecy, which was, how will this work of God come about? How will this happen? By what means will the Lord's people enter into this kind of non-contributory salvation? They don't do anything and they get the benefits of it. Well, the answer comes in the next two verses. And this is our primary text for this afternoon. These are verses 6 and 7. The answer is, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
And those of you who are familiar with Handel's Messiah will be familiar with these verses. In fact, every time I read them, I hear Handel's Messiah going through my head. I don't know if you do the same. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, and so on. Well, the solution for the difficulties, the people, uh, for the suffering that the people were experiencing in the here and now, was going to come in the future through a child who would become king. And not just any king, this king would reign on David's throne and bring everlasting peace. He would be the forever king. This is the hope that the people were given. And this is not the only place that uh, a king is prophesied about who will sit on David's throne. There are others independently who also prophesied the same thing. By way of coincidence, on one of the mornings I was preparing this talk, I happened to be reading in my quiet time from Hosea 3. And I read these words in verses 4 and 5. For the Israelites will live for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Isaiah brought a message of hope to people who were living in darkness and the hope he was bringing was about a child to be born who would sit on David's throne and be the forever king. Well, that is how the passage was interpreted at the time it was given. That's largely our understanding of it today. Well, my second point is, well, what does this mean now? Well, we live in the 21st century and not in Isaiah's day, and we have the benefit of hindsight, and to some extent a little bit of foresight based upon that hindsight, and we can see how that prophecy has been and is being completely fulfilled. We have a perspective available to us now that was not available at the time. I have to say on the slides, I got them, it must be an older version of PowerPoint on here, is it? Because on mine, they went down and revealed at the time. Now you're giving away my whole thing here. So I should, another thing I should have checked as well. Well, we now know that the child that Isaiah spoke about in verses 6 and 7 was Jesus of Nazareth, who was born in Bethlehem in Judea. And we know as well that this is not a fable or a made-up fairy tale, as some would have us to believe if you read the comments on the Times online, but something about, um, something about which serious historians agree. Namely, there was a person called Jesus who lived for the first 33 years AD, and this is the same Jesus that the Gospels uh, refer to in the New Testament. They see him as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy some 700 years earlier. So Luke, for example, in his writing, records the following. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Luke knew this probably because Mary, the mother of Jesus, had told him all about it. And he records it as a key part in his account of the story of Jesus' life. And in doing so, we can see the start of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Jesus is the king who will reign on David's throne. He is the forever king. And the birth of this child, Jesus, is what we celebrate at Christmas. It is almost certainly true that Jesus was not born on December the 25th, 1 AD. But rather we celebrate his birth on the 25th of December and all that his birth means. And Isaiah's prophecy gives us a lot of information about this king. He lists some names which uh, Alec Mottier says declares the person. Because in its highest use, name tells us something about the character of the individual. So Isaiah tells us some interesting things about this king, which we can see in Jesus, thus providing further evidence that Jesus is the forever king that Isaiah spoke about. So the titles Isaiah gives us tell us something about Jesus' qualification for ruling. He is a wonderful counsellor. They tell us something of his person and power. He is the mighty God. They tell us something of his relationships to his subjects. He is the everlasting father. And something of the society his rule creates. He is the prince of peace. See, the real meaning of Christmas is that a child was born who became the forever king. And he brings hope to a dark world and peace will be the quality of of his reign, hope and peace. And because he is the forever king, not like the monarchs that we saw earlier on, he can bring hope and peace to our lives today. And a tremendous thing about the prophecy that Isaiah brought all those years ago is that it was not just for Isaiah's time, it was not just for the first century AD, but for all people, for all times. And that includes you and me this Christmas. And that's something of what it means to us now. So we've looked at the past, we look at the present. Let's look finally at the future. What does it mean for the future? Well, the birth of Jesus changed human history. He brought hope to a dark world and he still brings hope to a dark world. And this hope is that the natural order of things will be restored, that the evil that seems to be so prevalent in our world will go and peace will reign forever. This is what Jesus promises, and this is what Christmas is really about. Now at Christmas, we give, we give gifts to one another, and these gifts symbolize what many call the greatest gift of all. That is God's gift of Jesus to us, the forever king who brings light into darkness who brings hope and peace to a hopeless people and a broken world. 
But like any gift, this can be received or rejected, accepted or refused. We have a choice. John, in his gospel, which Phil was reading earlier, says in verse 12, he says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. But you have to receive him. But to all who accepted the gift, he gave power to become children of God. And to experience the hope that Isaiah prophesied about, that Jesus is the fulfillment of, one has to receive the gift that he offers, the gift of life beyond the grave and of peace with God. You have to decide that that is a gift that you want to take. Now, I accepted this gift when I was 14 years old, and it totally transformed my life. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, how does the life of a 14-year-old get totally transformed? Well, I think I can see what I might have been had I not accepted Christ at the age of 14 and taken the gift of the forever king. What Isaiah said in his prophecy, I found as proven true for me. He is indeed a wonderful counselor, and many times I've been conscious of his unseen hand guiding my life, giving me that counsel that I need, helping me to navigate through the circumstances I find I'm in. He's in he is indeed the Prince of Peace, and through some of the storms we've experienced, I've known his peace. And I'd like to think that I do not fear death because my trust is in the forever king who reigns forever and has promised that I will be with him forever because I received the gift that he was offering. My future is secured and guaranteed. So, when you look at Christmas, what do you think? Where are you on the spectrum between it is about the birth of Jesus, the forever king, God becoming man and living as a real person, and it is a commercial holiday with Santa as the highlight? Where are you on that spectrum? If you've received, if you've never received the true gift of Christmas, of which all gifts are symbolic, then perhaps this Christmas it is time to do so. I just want to finish by reading those two verses again. That will, you'll hear Handel's Messiah going through your head for those to whom it is familiar. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this prophecy given hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. We thank you that it has been fulfilled in Jesus. This is historically verifiable. And we thank you for the promise 
that Jesus gives is also verifiable by us receiving the gift that he offers. We can prove him true in our own lives. And Father, I pray for each of us this Christmas that we will be at the right end of the spectrums that we've seen, that we will receive the gift and experience the hope and peace of Christmas. Amen.